happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Woke AF with me, Danielle Moody. Throughout this month, I am highlighting a series of amazing artists whose work is on display this summer in New York at the Shed Cultural Center as part of their open call program. Last week on my Patreon, which you can support now at patreon.com slash Woke AF, I spoke with Don Christian Jones, creator of the outdoor performance Volvo Truck. Don Christian talked with me about his connection with cars and car culture and how those connect to his greater identity as a black person, as well as our collective consciousness, something he calls black quantum physics, which connects us all. He also recognized the role of black women in his life and how we as a society owe a great debt to the black women who have come before us. Ancestral magic. Here is the first half of my conversation with Don Christian Jones. Let's start off with your exhibit and why you're so excited to share this work with folks. It is a multimedia, and I kind of want you to walk through, like describe it to us for folks that are listening, walk us through this kind of multimedia exhibit that is upcoming. I'm trying to put words to it myself every day as, as, I, as this evolves. It's really meant to be a living, breathing installation. So it's performative, it's performance-based in that, you know, there are people enacting and moving. Um, but it's also sculptural in so many ways. And really more than anything, I want it to be a monument, like a living, breathing monument that is up, that is erected for, you know, two days, two nights that people can experience in the round and can kind of uh, also encapsulate people as audience. So the title of the exhibit is Volvo Truck. Is that right? It is. Yeah. Talk to me about that and why cars are so important and what folks can expect as they walk into this installation. Because as I was watching a previous interview of yours and understanding the fact that you said you didn't play with toys as a kid, you played with matchbook cars and trucks and that 
that was a very much a part of your growing up. And it reminded me of my younger cousin, who I remember from when he was two or three years old. The only thing that he ever wanted every time that we went to a store were those little cars and trucks. And his fascination with cars just developed as he got older. So I was very endeared as I was learning more about this exhibit. But why were cars and trucks so important to you? And what's the significance of it in this installation? Sure. And I think I've been kind of grappling with and coming to terms with what, you know, cars kind of symbolize for me in a broader sense, but also in this piece. And I think coming to to terms like over the years, because I've been so inundated almost um, into this culture of cars and, I, and I've started to ask a lot of questions, you know, with regard to what they what they mean as symbol, especially like in, in a capitalist, in a, in a Western world, um, what they mean with relation to blackness and kind mm-hmm. of like a, a very black American um, preoccupation with nice cars or fancy rides. Um, and then the ways in which sound and music um, intersect with cars and our experiences growing up in them, um, I think was hugely formative for me. Like, I feel like so much of my growing up and like realizations made and light bulb moments took place in cars, whether I was in the backseat with one of my aunts one of their cars or my grandfather or my dad and there was always music and there was always some sound skip some sound score or landscape provided by outside the windows you know so i just remember i can recall conversations um had in passing or like sirens or other cars with you know booming basses rattling so i think i just have had this longing for a really long time to try and reenact that 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 feeling you know it's funny because as i as i was looking at your work and listening to your prior interviews and thinking about my own experience with my family with my aunts and uncles in their cars and and that experience of kind of growing up in the back seat or actually before you were supposed to have children (laughs) sit in the front seat in Mm. between two adults in cars and kind of the joy of that experience. Every time a car door opened as a young person, I felt like we were headed for an adventure because the world was so fresh and so bright through the eyes of my youth. Was there a sense of adventure and experience and exposure that riding around in Philadelphia, which is where you are from, provided for you? Definitely. I think about like the ways in which Black people occupy urban space, American space, like, and and, and the access to car and car culture and the ways that can like really change or like reshape one's adolescence or, or just exposure mm. to a broader world. Because I surely had met and grown up with some folks that, you know, they, they grew up in like a five block radius and never and maybe yep. never have experienced the beach before they were a teenager or an adult or made it down to, you know, the parkway from South Philly to to go to the art museum. And I, mm-hmm. and, I and I think I've, I've grown to understand the immense privilege that I, I was afforded in having people around me that were raising me that could take me places and then hear stories about how they grew up, how my grandfather maybe taught them how to drive or my dad taught me how to drive. And these really like um, visceral moments where it's like, they just put you out on the road in the way that they put me in in a pool and said, swim, so formative. So yeah, so there's a gratitude. Um, 
I remember, you know, just hearing from my aunts, like their access to the beach, their access mm-hmm. to Atlantic City and Chicken Bone Beach growing up in the 60s that widened, broadened their landscape. And I imagine the the boundaries to which they could dream, right? Mm. Or, or see a world outside of what they lived in. You know, there's a sense of freedom that I hear, right? And independence from being able to have access to cars and vehicles. Like you talk about your aunts, which I want you to be able to get into and your and your mother, and the fact that they were so influential in your life. These different beautiful black women with varied experience and access and opportunity. And you speak about them being, you know, born at these different times, which are actual really critical points in our history as black people in the United States. So I want you to be able to speak about how your aunts, how your family are wrapped into this installation and this work that is going to be presented and why you think it was important to tell their stories. Great hard question. (laughs) In, In my adulthood, I've been able to kind of step back and, and really regard them as, as individuals, as human beings, and in so many ways, almost take them off of this pedestal that I, that I once put them on for having raised me. And to be able to find correlation between my own life or experience and them and maybe their mother or their father and just it a greater reverence for like my own personal lineage and ancestry. Um, I think we're living in a time like this time is so crazy. And more than anything for me, it's been shadow work. It's been mm. like a spiritual reckoning. This feels more like spiritual warfare than anything. And I, I say that as an a-religious, a non-religious person, but who grew up in religion. So I'm remembering ritual. I'm remembering tradition. I'm remembering the power in like ancestral magic. And I think this is like a conversation that is swelling and almost like breaching this collective consciousness. You know, you look at some of the media out today, like these movies, these films, um, Lovecraft, um, mm-hmm. on HBO, uh, Random Acts of Flyness that are really verging on like this conversation about, it's like, it's black quantum physics um, and, and the realities of such. And, and and tapping into this magic that has been really relegated in, in the way we're taught is relegated to like folklore or like voodoo or like zombies on TV. But mm-hmm. like, what makes that any less tech, high tech? What makes our power any less profound, any less scientific? You know, I think that's been a part of our, our the undoing that they try to implement on us. Is to make us for you know we forget where we come from. So this past year and, and maybe a little more, I've been really trying to remind myself of where I come from through them. So you just blew my mind with a couple of things: black quantum physics, like I want to delve into that, and then spiritual warfare and the idea of what it means to reconnect to your beginning, right? Like our beginning, your beginning meaning where your family, where we where we originate from in our family, but then our beginning as a community, as a people, and ties to our land and our ancestry. And I think, you know, Woke AF is a political show, right? It is a progressive political show where I try and infuse different aspects of what it means to show up consciously, 
right? And that being conscious is a part of everyday work and exercise and practice. I talk about being woke as not something that just happens once, like you hit an alarm and then you're forever awake, right? That it is a constant awakening that happens every day and it's a constant expansion that happens. When we talk about black consciousness in the grand scheme of things, for me, it is about awakening to what has been lost or rather what has been robbed. So for you, when you are looking at your family lineage and how it positions itself within the greater sense of blackness, what comes up for you mm. as you've been journeying through the development of this work? I mean, surely I think f fundamentally it's, it's this a pure reverence for the black woman and, mm. and, and has having experienced or seen or witnessed them as being the scapegoat for the, the world uh, while, while simultaneously being like the impetus for the world. And to be able to, to see that and witness that through these, these very real people that, that are my aunts and my mom, their resilience, their creativity, their fortitude, their independence, their sheer ability to you know, transcend time and space through their work and the people that they've touched over the years. You know, I think about, well, I'll go into this when you talk about Black women being both the scapegoat and the impetus for the world, the creation of it. For you, how has your understanding of the kind of journeys that your aunts and your mother have taken, how has that kind of, I guess, maybe shifted your thinking about Black women? Or how has it deepened your understanding of how the world experiences Black women? I'm thinking of how you said it's this daily practice, right? Mm -hmm. So to never, to really like approach every day from this place of critical pedagogy, like this is going to be a practice. I'm going to learn in this day. I'm going to ask. And, and like I was saying, in so many ways, I've taken them off this pedestal or, or, or these tropes of, of archetype, which I've, I've realized maybe so much is my own projection onto them, who mm. I think them to be, who I've made, who I associated them to out in the world and, and kind of like wanting to provide space for, for us to just be, to simply just be, to dance, to make music, to eat as commune in an apolitical way that it'll never that inevitably be politicized. Mm -hmm. What has their experience with your art been? As you, I'm assuming you have had conversation with family and connected with them because they're such an inspiration for this particular project, this particular installation. What has their feeling been as kind of seeing themselves through your lens? I think much of this project or the meat of it really has been the getting to know them again or through a new lens. The past year, you know, COVID and everything, well, this was the first time in a, over a decade that they were all on the East Coast at the same time. And in, in having my own car for the first time in my life, I, I was now afforded the ability to see them at greater length. And more often, you know, now at 31, it's like I'm almost having this reunion with them, which has been remarkable. And then going through all of their personal archives and documents and photos and letters and their wardrobe 
you know, being able to touch this stuff that I remember from, you know, 20 years ago, so much comes up. So all this stuff comes up. So we're having conversations that I've never had before. Like I'm, I'm learning histories about my family that, I, that were never shared. And then I'm left to really think about what does this mean? Like for the shed or, or for the uh, audience watching this. Uh, mm-hmm. And it almost doesn't matter anymore because you know, the, I, I'm, I'm already experiencing this work. So much of this work has already been done. In the second half of our conversation, Don Christian and I got deep into his relationship with art and his role as a creator and how it has evolved during the pandemic. It was an honest, raw conversation, and you can hear the rest right now by supporting me at patreon.com slash wokeaf. And you can see Don Christian perform Volvo Truck on June 17th at theshed.org slash open dash call dash live stream. Or if you're in New York, you can visit The Shed for free. I will be shacked up there this summer checking out all of the amazing artists in the Open Call program. Whether I see you next week in the tweets at D2Cents or over on Patreon, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.